Welcome to the High for This Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Taylor. So this is the podcast for May 6th, the week starting on Monday. A lot of stuff to cover. We had a pretty eventful weekend, seeing some shows around New York. Also wanted to talk about a couple of new releases um, from the past couple of weeks, or I guess the past week. The biggest release we have to talk about is probably Vampire Weekend's new album, Father of the Bride. This is their first album in six years. They celebrated it today with an all-day show at Webster Hall, which I talked about last week, which I was not able to get tickets to. I was checking all night for StubHub, hoping that something would go even below $200. Sorry about that. $200 is a lot. But uh, I was seeing tickets for $600. I was seeing tickets for $550. That's uh, too much. Anyways, that show, um, I have not read reports about it. I'm sure somebody is recording it. I'm sure that there is plenty to check out on Instagram. Maybe the New York Times will be writing about it. But that happened today. Uh, the, the doors for that were at 10 a.m. And Webster Hall was sending out tweets talking about how they had bagels. So would have been cool to see that live because they performed the entire album live. And that means they probably had Danielle Hyam there performing um, her parts. She's featured throughout the record. The record is kind of a, I don't know if you call it a song cycle. It's definitely not a, I don't know if you wouldn't call it a rock opera. Uh, It was compared on Pitchfork. Uh, They talk about how Ezra Koenig said he's been threatening to sound like Fish or make a record like Fish for a while. And you definitely get some of those vibes on Harmony Hall, that track number two. But there's these definitely these two characters uh, that sing back and forth, and that's obviously Ezra Koenig and Danielle Haim. Cool record. I'm enjoying it so far. I was actually not a big LP3 guy, so Modern Vampires of the City... A lot of people thought that was their best record and lost their minds when that came out. I like it. There are tracks that I think are really good. I think Hannah Hunt is one of their best recorded tracks and maybe their most has the most emotional depth. But that's about it for me. I'm not a huge LP3 fan. This album I like, but I mean, I really liked the debut record and I really liked Contra. I think I lost my mind the most over Contra. So anyways, that's the Vampire Weekend record. They actually have a show coming up in the fall at Madison Square Garden. That's on September 6th. That's a lot of tickets to sell. I am pretty sure they'll they'll do it. I was really curious if Interpol was going to be able to sell out Madison Square Garden. They didn't sell it out, but I was there and it was pretty packed. Um, Leading up to their actual performance time. I was still curious, oh, is this going to be full? Is it going to look empty? Because I have seen many indie rock type bands from the New York area attempt to play big venues and then play them to a half-empty room. I'm looking at you, yeah, yeah, yes, and the Barclays Center. Another record I want to talk about is by Taco Cat. 
It is called This Mess is a Place. They have a show coming up on May 17th at Music Hall of Williamsburg. This is their fourth record. They are from Seattle, and this is their first record on Sub Pop. They really came out of the DIY scene. If you go on Spotify and check out their related artists, it's going to be a lot of art, a lot of the artists similar to um, the Crutchfields. And it actually mentions like P.S. Eliot, Swearin, and Waxahachie. But a lot of this, um, even groups like Sheermag, a lot of this modern Riot Girl music, it's a pretty fun record. I, I suggest checking it out. Has it been so long? But I'm back, babe, with a brand new song and a stage. Another record that came out was Kevin Morby, Oh My God. This came out last week. Uh, but he has a show coming up May 31st at Town Hall. Kevin Morby, I actually am only familiar with originally through Katie Crutchfield's Instagram. Katie Crutchfield is, of course, Waxahachie. And Kevin Morby is her boyfriend. And so I see them on Instagram constantly. And he's really always in my life because of that. But I had never really listened to his music. Oh My God's a pretty great record. Uh, concept album, you might say. It reminds me a little bit of maybe M. Ward in the vocal delivery. It's a cool record. I... I'm going to listen to it some more in the car. I definitely listened to it today um, to and for Costco. Kevin Morby originally was a bassist in Woods. And Woods, I really liked. Uh, I haven't listened to them in a little bit, but Woods, Woods is really cool. Uh, Kevin Morby comes from Kansas City. He moved to Brooklyn. He was in Brooklyn when he was playing in Woods, obviously. He has since moved out to L.A., a lot of critical acclaim, though. He has a May 31st show coming up at Town Hall, which is no joke. That's where I saw Jeff Tweedy just a few weeks ago. Town Hall is a storied venue. I think there's some Theologius Monk vibes coming from there still. I think he released a live record there. There's a lot of old jazz, I think, that a lot of old acclaimed live recordings or records that came from there. It's right in the middle of Times Square, next to where I saw... Network on Broadway with Brian Cranston. This was a pretty busy week for shows. Any week where I see three shows, I'd call that busy. Sometimes I see no shows. Sometimes I see one show. Well, this week I saw three. Started off on Wednesday seeing Eels at Irving Plaza. First thing I noticed about this show, the last time I was at Irvin Plaza, I guess, was for Broods, very young crowd. And I'm not the oldest guy, but I am an old guy comparatively to the youngsters these days. And at Eels was the most age-appropriate crowd I've, I feel like I've been in in a while. And it reminded me of seeing some alt-country or Americana, other alt-country or Americana artists that have a older fan base. So it was kind of cool seeing eels in that kind of crowd the band was a lot more rocking in i don't want to say a punk rock way because it's not punk rock but definitely in a bluesy kind of a rootsier way than i imagined one of my favorite records is blinking lights and other revelations which is from the mid 00s i think 2006 
and there's some there's a lot of quiet on that record it expands and contracts a lot there's some acoustic things there's some definitely maybe alt country type stuff on that too but this show was like very very kind of straightforward um, a lot of straightforward like masculinity to it and it kind of reminded me of um, it had this vibe of just uh, a, a cool dad kind of like a I don't know how old Mark Oliver Everett is these days I'll look it up on Wikipedia while we're sitting here but uh, it definitely had this like aging hipster sort of um, character to it cool show no I didn't know what to expect they had some audio troubles in the encore when they were playing the uh, uh, Fresh Blood or Need Fresh Blood or I Want Fresh Blood. The song from The Jinx, if you don't remember, The Jinx was the HBO docuseries about Robert Durst. The theme music was Eels. And they played uh, God Damn It's a Beautiful Day, which was, I think, on the Road Trip soundtrack. If you remember Road Trip, that was uh, the movie Sean William Scott. He played Stifler in American Pie, made after American Pie, Road Trip, starring the legend Brecken Meyer. Anyway, they played that song as well in the encore. Friday, I saw a, a blockbuster performance by Marin Morris at Brooklyn Steel. Ray Lynn was the opener. Ray Lynn, I think, if I remember correctly, comes to us from The Voice. She was one of Blake Shelton's proteges early on. And she's been bumping around Nashville. Marin Morris had a cool record called Hero a couple years ago and did uh, just a smaller show at the Bowery Ballroom. She's exploded into outer space since the middle, the Z track that she was the vocalist featured on. And so she rolled into town this week to play. Brooklyn Steel and Terminal 5, both shows sold out. The crowd was electric. <laughs> That's all I can really say. A lot of excitement. She's really a great performer, and I really enjoyed the production of her show. You can definitely tell the difference when you're dealing with a real star or somebody who has like a real production behind them. She's playing with an ace group of what I assume are Nashville musicians since that's where she comes from. I lived in Nashville with my band. Um, before we were good by Picasso, we were Whiskey Richard in Nashville in 2006. And we, I can spot those crack musicians who are people who are lifers in the industry who are just there. Some of the best side people you can possibly find. They play multiple instru instruments. Um, they're just so good at everything they do. They can sing background vocals. Guitar players have expensive equipment and a million guitars. And it was, the band was just out of control good. Her voice was amazing the whole time. 
I enjoy her record, Girl. What you waiting for? It's just a really solid pop, I guess, pop country record. Uh, she, but she really pulls it off live. It was, it was so good. Really enjoyed it, and the crowd made it so much better. And I think she was really soaking that up too. The next night, at and that was at Brooklyn Steel that, that I saw her. The next night uh, was at Big Red Machine down in Red Hook at Pioneer Works. Pioneer Works is this open kind of artist space and Justin Vernon, who is Bonnie Vare, is on their board of advisors. When Bonnie Vare rolled into town uh, on the 22 a million tour in December of 2016, they ended up playing six nights at pioneer works. They also played several other venues in the city but uh, Pioneer Works was a, a big portion of it, and I watched the live concert of that on when NPR streamed it. But this was uh, what they call the People Festival. This is where people spelled with like numbers upside down. It's semi-pretentious the way they do this, very artistic. But um, the format, we arrived at 7. I went with my buddy Seth, who will definitely be on the program one of these episodes coming up because he goes to most of these shows with me. We show up at seven and there's sort of this ambient music playing. And it's the kind of thing where there's, I don't know, 800 or a thousand people kind of roaming around. There's art installation. There's lights happening. There is four or five different places where you can get craft beer. They were definitely selling threes brewing Tall Boys for $12, which was aggressive. I had two or three Blood Orange Pellegrinos, which I think were four or five bucks each. Also aggressive. But you're roaming around this space. There is ambient music. And then at one end, there's this mellow trio of musicians where it's piano and bass and drums, and there's some singing. And then there is this... Uh, Resistance Revival Choir. And then there's this Malawi guitar player at the other end playing what looks like a toaster, but it's actually a guitar. And then there is Electronic at one end. There's there's sort of a funk-type band at one end. And then all of a sudden, towards the end, we had um, Big Red Machine. And everybody's collaborating with each other. Some of these people are vaguely in this band or that band. You know, Aaron Desner's there from the National. Josh Kaufman's playing guitar. Josh Kaufman's been a sideman for pretty much everybody. He's a hired gun. He was he played in Craig Finn's band, like I talked about last week. And I think he was on his new record. He's played with Bob Weir. There is Mike Lewis, who also played on Bonnie Bear's tour a couple of years ago. He also played with Justin Vernon and Gangs. There's Brad Cook playing bass. He was the bass player in Megaphone. Megaphone's the band that formed after D'Armond Edison, which was the band he was in with Justin Vernon. D'Armond Edison is Justin Vernon's middle name. Yeah, and so there was a, a whole cast of players. Eric D. Johnson from the Fruit Bats was there, also singing and playing. Aeneas Mitchell, 
just yeah, it was kind of endless. So Big Red Machine came out at the end and played through their entire record from last year, which was on my best of the year list. I thought it was a great record. Underrated. Well, I better not fuck this up. Well, I better not fuck this up. The performance I thought was good. It was a little... Little, little less of a big deal on the production side. They performed. They went on tour last year. They played one show at Terminal Five. That was the night I was at um, Boy Genius at Brooklyn Steel. It was a cool show. Definitely brought out a lot of guests. In towards the end of the show, they brought out Vernon Reed from Living Color, who burned through about five minutes of a guitar solo on their track OMDB, which is over my dead body, and that went into. The last couple tracks, which were People Lullaby and Melt, which were two of the last tracks on Big Big Red Machine's record. They had the Resistance Revival Choir out with them. I got some pretty good video of that. It was a fun show. It was really kind of a mixed bag of different styles and different performers. It definitely did not feel like a Big Red Machine show, even though they were the sort of the headliner at the end. It was really this artistic space they wanted you to be in. They wanted to curate this experience, which was good. And they was definitely glad I went. It was a little bit pretentious, I thought. I, it was the, probably the most Brooklyn thing I've done in a while. It was cool. Glad I went, though. And glad it was cool to be there. Funnily enough, at one point I turned to Seth and I say, Seth, is that John McEnroe? And yes, it was John McEnroe. I was looking in the crowd because I figured this is the kind of thing where there would be a celebrity or two. And I didn't see any other than the musicians, but I did see John McEnroe. And he was dressed like a Brooklyn hipster and he had a hat on. And unless you're up close, you probably wouldn't have noticed him. So that was a good, that was a good catch is seeing John McEnroe. So yeah, big weekend of music. Really love that Maren Morris show. I am very high on her at the moment. Um, what did we miss, though? The same night we were seeing Big Red, big Red Machine, Sharon Van Etten was at Webster Hall. Webster Hall is up and kicking now. Tons of shows happening all over the place. She brought out Nora Jones, who would have been cool to see with her. Nora Jones sang on 17. Which is one of the bangers from Sharon Van Etten's record. Sharon Van Etten's record is still probably one of the best of the year. And I do hope to catch her sometime this year. I'm sure she'll play again. In New York, um, I think this may have been her first or second performance. It seems like her second performance this year. I think we were out of town when she played at the Beacon Theater, but that's okay. That may have been when we were in Puerto Rico. So next, I want to talk about shows coming up. This is not a super stacked week for me. I don't know if I mentioned it, but I don't want to give an update on every show that's happening because every night of the week, there's 10 or 15 shows you could go see. I'm way more concerned with 
giving you what I think are the shows you should take the time to go see that I think are worth checking out. So this week on the 9th, which is Thursday, Strand of Oaks is playing at Music Hall of Williamsburg. Strand of Oaks uh, is Tim Showalter. I have met him a couple times. I saw Strand of Oaks open up for Yellow Ostrich at Bowery Ballroom, I guess seven years ago now, which is insane. It's a long time ago. I saw him do a Jansport event, believe it or not, where he played solo, and Matt from Phosphorescent also played solo. That was a sick <laughs> performance but for the dumbest reason. We got. A, I think we got some free beer and maybe a Jansport hat or something, but there was some backpack line or something. That was at Amity Hall. That was a number of years ago, too. I really liked Dark Shores by Strand of Oaks, which came out, I think, in 2012. Grab your diamond drill and come with me, moon living is a lonely life. When I met him, I told him I loved Dark Shores. It's his least favorite record. Not a big fan of it. He does not like it, but I think it's magical. At the time, he reminded me a lot of Jim James from My Morning Jacket. And My Morning Jacket, which for a long time was one of my favorite bands, who I've seen a million times. I've seen multiple times at Madison Square Garden. And they were of the ilk for a while. They were playing Madison Square Garden. They were getting, I think it was 08 or 09, they played New Year's. I mean, they were big. For some reason, though, I in the past, I guess ever since Circuital, which was 2011, They've had a hard time making a record that really breaks through and is that listenable. I don't know why. I'm not even sure they've made a record in the past five years. It may have been 2014 they last had a record. So the reason I tell you that is because Strand of Oak's new record, the band is everybody but Jim James and My Morning Jacket. I think they're just itching to get in the studio and, and make something. And uh, Tim sounds so much like Jim James. I think for them, it's almost like this is the same experience. And it's actually probably better than what they might do with My Morning Jacket. Jim James has been releasing some solo records, and he had one last year. And the record he released, Tim spoke on Instagram, gushing about it. It was an okay record. It's not not amazing. But... um. I still love My Morning Jacket. I would still see them. And I think they are playing this summer at Forest Hills, and Warpaint is opening up. So I'll probably go to that. That'll probably that'll be a fun show to go see. And Forest Hills is no joke. It has a twelve or 14,000 cap, which is big. So it's not as if they're not popular and, and can't sell. It's just that... It's been a while since they've had music that's like generally um, adored. So that that's happening. Another th- thing that's happening is that over at Hudson Yards, which is the really ostentatious development on 10th Ave, between 10th and 11th Ave in the high 20s, this is the area where it's a new neighborhood that basically got built with public funds with like billions of dollars 
uh, built over the Hudson Rail Yards. And there's an area there called the Shed, which is a vague kind of performance space. They've been having um, initial performances there. Moses Sumney played there at least a week or two ago, which gives it some credibility. They have commissioned a piece by Bjork called Cornucopia, and that piece is happening throughout the month on May 9th, 12th, 16th, 22nd, 25th, 28th, and June 1st. I didn't look that closely. I'm almost positive this is all sold out. You can definitely look on StubHub, um, but this is the kind of thing that just sells out. This is almost a society thing now, the shed being so new. Um, but next week, I guess next Sunday and next Monday, Lizzo is playing Brooklyn Steel. Lizzo, we talked about last week with her new album, Cause I Love You. That'll probably be a really cool show. So these artists are getting bigger. You know, Lizzo is playing Brooklyn Steel, which is an 1800 cap twice. Well, she booked two shows in September at Radio City. Maren Morris did the same thing. Maren Morris is like a real, like, like I said, I think she's becoming a star. And so she played Brooklyn Steel and Terminal 5. Terminal 5 is a 3,000 cap. So she's now coming back in September and playing Radio City. Radio City seats 6,000. So as artists progress, you know, across the city, some people max out at Music Hall in Williamsburg, which is, you know, 500, 600 cap. And some people can go to the next level. Uh, Snail Mail, believe it or not, is playing Brooklyn Steel in August 1st. Snail Mail is an artist that, I swear to God, she made... An amazing record last year, and I think it was number four on my top ten of the year. The record is legitimately amazing. I have now seen her in concert twice, and her vocals are not good. I don't know why, I don't know what it is. When I saw her open up for Always at Warsaw in Greenpoint, I guess this was last fall, when she started singing, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was an affecta affectation to be funny. There was no way this was actually how she was singing, and it never got better. And I ran into somebody I know, um, a music critic guy I know, and uh, at the show, and I asked about it. And he's like, yeah, this is, no, she's not very good, uh, the voice. So not not my favorite vocal performances I've seen so far. I don't know that I'll end up with this show again. I don't know if I'm going to give it another shot. Like I said, the record is amazing. And so a chance to see the songs live, if you are into the record, maybe give it a shot. But she's not playing Brooklyn Steel, which is about as big as it gets in Brooklyn. King's Theater is bigger, but King's Theater is for like your Death Cab for Cutie, your Beach Houses, like bon, Bonnie Bear's playing there in December and stuff. Tame Paula, believe it or not, has booked two shows at Madison Square Garden, which very few people can do. I mean, this is the kind of thing, the last person that played there was Bad Bunny. And this is where... You know, Fleetwood Mac, The Who, uh, Fish can sell out Masses Masses Regard multiple nights. 
Radiohead did four nights at Madison Square Garden, but a very small number of people can sell it out. Last couple of shows I saw there were the Weezer and Pixies, and then I saw Interpol. Interpol, I was like crossing my fingers for them. They didn't sell out ahead of time, but uh, it was being in the crowd. It looked 100% full. People were sitting in the nosebleeds. It was that was big for them. So those are shows coming up. The last thing I want to mention is Prospect Park Bandshell this summer. Brick has announced their list of free shows. This is my favorite, maybe my favorite thing to do in New York is see shows at Prospect Park in the summer. There are more shows that are paid, and those we'll talk about as they're coming up. But um, for free shows, there's two great ones I want to highlight. On 621, Clexico and Iron and Wine are playing for free. Their EP from this has to be more than 10 years ago now, maybe 15 years ago now, I listened to um, like just ad nauseum when I first got it. They're amazing together. I've seen them separately and together. Iron and Wine, you know, for a while was playing Terminal 5 and then Radio City. And now I think hasn't had that much impact in the past, you know, five to eight years. And so this is still a big gig. I mean, these outside gigs, um, Prospect Park is about 9,000 cap. They're never It never gets filled like that because the lawn never gets that filled. But um, this will be a really cool show. On 629, Liz Fair is headlining. And then Ted Leo and Caroline Rose are supporting. Caroline Rose had one of my favorite records from last year. I didn't hear it till this year. I don't know how I missed it. But um, oh my God, I like Chris turned me on to it. And I've been listening to it nonstop. So I can't wait to check out that show. It's going to be great. So that's the update for the week. Um, lot to chew on. But yeah, and for the records, if you haven't downloaded the Vampire Weekend or saved it on Spotify or something, go ahead and do that. That's what most music heads are going to be talking about. And um, yeah, keep Kevin Morby in your thoughts and maybe check that out. A lot of buzz behind him. And uh, if you follow Katie Crutchfield on Instagram, you'll see him by default. So just keep that in mind. All right. That's it for the week.